Hey, 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 guys. My name is Paula Sun, but you can call me the Change Navigator. I mean, that's why you clicked on the podcast because of the name, right? All right, cool. I want to begin by saying welcome to my new listeners and welcome back to the Faithful Navigators. We are here in season two. And like I've been telling you guys, we are interviewing ordinary people doing extraordinary things. But let me be truthful about this one. So we actually did this recording earlier. And in the middle of the recording, the computer froze. So it stopped recording. So we went through like 40 minutes of talking and just great information only to find out it only recorded five minutes of the interview. I was so heartbroken at the end of it. And I was like, you know what? We're not doing this again tonight. We're just going to have to try it again another day. So I want to say welcome to my guest, Kirsten Fontenot. Thank you for take two of this interview with Kirsten Fontenot. Welcome, Kirsten. Hello, 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 listeners. All right, let me give you a little brief background about Kirsten. Kirsten was born and raised in Port Arthur, Texas to Jeff Joseph and Beverly Fontenot. She was the last of four kids. She graduated in 1997 from Abraham Lincoln High School. And then she moved to Louisiana where she graduated from the Grambling State University, where everybody is somebody. She got she earned a Bachelor of Science degree in therapeutic recreation and a Master of Science in sports administration. She has two lovely daughters, um, and her favorite verse in the Bible is from Jeremiah twenty nine and eleven. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So that's a brief, brief bio about Kirsten, but let me tell you guys how I know Kirsten, okay? Kirsten and I were neighbors back in Monroe, Louisiana. We were neighbors from 2004 until I moved away in 2009, but we were neighbors, and I have this funny nickname that I call Kirsten. So here's the thing. We we were neighbors, so I could literally walk across the grass and go to her house, like walk across our reach out the window (laughs) nicely manicured grass and go to her house and we were both married at the time and Kirsten had this ability this this it has to be an innate ability to know what to do when you weren't feeling well you would think that Kirsten went to medical school because any ailment, anytime I was sick or if my girls didn't feel well, I would just go over and be like, hey, doc, what you what, what you got? What do I need to do? <laughs> and I promise you guys, she always, always, always had what we needed. And then she had the nerve to say, okay, you're going to take this two times a day, <laughs> this many hours between the time and, you know, this should work. Let me know how this works. So I affectionately call her doc. I used to call her Dr. Quinn, but I just call her doc now. So... <laughs> This interview is actually going to be a little bit different, okay? So here's how we're going to do it. Because I know Kirsten so well, I'm just going to do a timeline and then I'm going to let her talk. So I need you guys to really, really pay attention because she's going to really share her story, like authentic, her story. And I really wanted to help you guys. So Kirsten, tell the navigators about 2010. In 2010, um, we were living in Monroe. Um, my daughter was eight years old, uh, the oldest. 
Um, she was um, sick. She was uh, during the time of her state testing at school. She got really ill at school and they sent her home. We thought that she had uh, a stomach virus. Um, and we treated it as a stomach virus. Uh, for two days, she was vomiting and just sick. But within those two days, she had also lost like 18 pounds. Um, took her to the doctor. They ran a complete blood test on her to see what was going on, but it would take 24 hours to get the results back. Uh, within that 24 hours, um, she was still going to school. Uh, to take her test, but we would get her right after the testing was over. Um, she only wanted to drink Gatorade and eat pineapples. And just to um, give her what she wanted, because that was seemed to be the only thing that she could uh, hold down and manage, uh, that's what we were giving her. Um, so later that night, uh, got her ready for bed, and I was in the bed watching TV, I guess, and she walked into the bedroom. And she was like, mama, uh, I need to use the restroom. And before I could get out the bed to help her, she just completely passed out. And got up out my pajamas, threw on a robe, picked her up, went straight to the hospital. I mean, it was only like five minutes away. Got us to the hospital, sat nervous in anticipation, waiting to see what was going on. Um, it took them a long time because she was so dehydrated from those three days um, that they could not find a vein. Um, but they came out probably about an hour, hour and a half later, and they told me that she had diabetes, um, that her sugar was at a 950, um, and that uh, she would have to go on an insulin regimen and this and that. Um, I was in total disbelief because I know diabetes doesn't run in my family. I have never dealt with diabetes. I didn't know what we were gonna do with the child on diabetes. I mean, I, my mom worked in the hospital. Of course, I would call and say, hey, what do I do? But to deal with it on an everyday basis, I wasn't ready for that. And so I argued with the doctor, no, you got to go back. You got to test for something else. You got to see what else it is. Maybe that test was wrong. Give me another answer. And of course they did, but came back with the same results. Wow. So you have an eight-year-old and she is sick and you have to adjust and really change your life to make sure you're right. taking care of her how did your mother help you during this time um you know of course she she was most keeper uh what a lot of people might know some don't um i had mo uh the start probably three weeks into my grad school um year and she was okay Mo is mine, basically. You know, you finish school, you do what you have to do. Um, and whenever you need us to take care of her, we'll take care of her. And they did that. Um, she thought Mo belonged to her. So when she got the phone call that Mo was sick, she was absolutely there. Um, she was in the hospital telling the people, hey, this is not how you do this. This is how you do this. And she can't eat that. You need to give her this. And don't try to give her that because that's going to make her sick. I'm like, listen, lady, this is not your hospital. <laughs> This is not the hospital you work in. You got to go back to Port Arthur with it. But, you know, she, she was doing, you know, her motherly nurturing thing. Um, and it, it didn't stop her from being her. Uh, she was there for a few weeks. And she told me, like, the best way for me to understand what Mo was going through was to actually go through with her. So um, I decided that 
uh, I got pricked. I got the needle stuck in me. I did everything that she would have to do in order to see what that child was going to have to go through. And it was hard for me. So I could not imagine what it would be for an eight-year-old to have to do this on an everyday basis, three or four times a day. Um, I had to also learn how to explain to her what that was going to look like and what it was going to be like because her life would no longer be normal um, as a child any longer. Wow, that's that was some great, great advice from your mother and to know that you went through that to be able to understand what she was experiencing, to put yourself in her shoes. And even as an adult, it was difficult. And like you said, her life would never be the same. So kudos to you kudos to your mother for helping you with that and now I understand why you knew what to do when somebody was sick because your mother worked in the hospital and oh yes she, 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 she never let us go to the hospital so you know at home we had everything that the hospital had because she was bringing it home y'all not going to the hospital you break your home you break your arm we doing it right here you <laughs> you're not in the kitchen come on bring the arm we finna wrap it up right here it was not Let's go to the hospital. I, I wanted crutches. I wanted a cast. Oh, no, no. That's not happening. <laughs> Give me that ace bandage. Let me get that for you. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let's, uh, let's help the listeners understand. Let's transition to 2012. What happened in 2012? So in 2012, I was, um, I had taken a leave from work. Um, two of my cousins had been murdered in Monroe and um, they gave me leave. Um, I was close to those two cousins. Uh, it was kind of a, a deep family emergency and I was on leave um, and I had been on leave for a couple months and I was getting ready to go back to work. Um, so every morning, of course, I would talk to my mama because we were off, you know, and um, she would call, you cook them kids breakfast, you got them off of school, you know, this and that. So particularly on September the 14th, um, we were on the phone gossiping, of course, um, and talking about some other things. And um, I got the kids ready. They went off to school. And of course, I talked to my mom about everything. And at the time, um, I was going through some things with my marriage. Um, and, you know, as a mother, she she would give advice. Um, she never was the one to tell us what to do. Um, she, she wasn't going to be the one to say, um, okay, leave. Uh, never. Um, she was too much into church and that type of stuff. But she would give her sound advice. And so that morning, it was a little different, though. It wasn't just, you know, okay, you know, this is the best thing to do, or maybe you should try this. It was more so of um, a storyline, basically, is what she kind of gave me. And we talked for like six hours and it was odd. Um, she told me that um, I was gonna go through a divorce. Um, she told me that me and my kids were gonna um, experience some changes, um, that I would probably have to move, um, that I would have to be real strong. Um, she told me though I would go through these things that I should not fight um, through any of it. She was like, don't fight. Um, she said, you know, it's at the time, I think I had been married eight years. Yeah, eight years. And so she was like, you know, 
indoor, stick out to the 10. And once you hit that 10, get out as quick as you can, you know, if it's not working. But she also said, you know, continue and maintain being a good wife, continue and maintain being a good mother, um, do your part. And I heard all of that and I received it all, no rebuttal. I mean, cause usually we can go toe to toe sometimes. But I received it all, you know, and I ended up having to run errands. She ended up having to run errands. And so we kind of uh, got off the phone. But I mean, the conversation was so deep. I walked out the house with the cordless phone. I'm still just trying to talk. And I'm like, wait, 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 got to get off the phone. <laughs> let me let me hang up. And I just call you when I get back home. So I think I went, uh, picked the girls up from school, um, came home. We went to the uh, track. Um, I walked a couple of miles. And then I... Um, I'm gonna take a shower, came home, took a shower. And while I was in the shower, my oldest answered the phone and she was like, mama, you gotta get out of the tub. And she was like, um, grandma's friend is on the phone and she said that grandma and papa got into a car wreck. And so I was like, um, okay. And so I jumped out the tub, you know, I grabbed the phone. And so um, one of the ladies of the church was like, hey, you know, um, Rev and your mom got into a, a wreck. Um, you need to come home. And so I'm like, okay, no, you know, say less. And I get out of the sub, I start packing. Cause in my mind, it's like, if my mom got in a wreck, I'm going home. I'm gonna make sure that she's okay. I'm staying there until she's better or whatever. And I'm just packing. The next phone call I get is from my mom's best friend who worked at the hospital with her. And she was like, Kirsten, don't rush. Um, your mom and stepdad were walking and a drunk driver hit them. So whereas in my mind, I was thinking they were in a car wreck, car to car, a car actually hit them. And so she said, get here when you can. I, it, it just wasn't registering. Mm-hmm. And so I prepared, I got my cousin to come and get the girls and you know, I'm packing up, I'm getting ready to leave. And I think we, I drove up the street and turned a corner. We were on 165 at the red light and my brother called. And when my brother called, it was just nothing but crying. And so it was like, you know, it was like one phone call was okay. The next phone call wasn't that great. And then the last phone call, I just knew. To hear my brother crying, I knew what that phone call meant. And I, I, I just couldn't take, you know, anymore. And I, 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 I knew. I, I kind of knew. And so um, my dad got on the phone and um, he said, don't rush. Um, when you get here, don't come uh, to this hospital, go to Beaumont, because my stepdad was at the hospital in Beaumont. He was like, we're gonna take care of everything with your mom. He said, but my stepdad was asking for me. And I was like, okay. And um, me and my stepdad were really close. I was the only one living at the house when him and my mom got married. And so, um, we made it there, got to Beaumont, and so ironically, my stepdad only wanted to talk to me. Everyone had talked to my stepdad throughout the night and had let him know, you know, what had happened, but he only wanted to talk to me. Um, it was a hard thing to do. Um, they had told him that, you know, exactly what happened, that my mom did not make it, and he only wanted to hear it from me, and, and that was hard because I don't think that at the time I had even accepted it in order to relay that message Mm -hmm. to him. But um, I I just waited 
um, because I didn't think that even still he's ready to accept it because they told me that he was going in and out and I felt maybe that's why he kept asking over and over and I, it, it just it was it was too much uh, it, was, it was a lot to accept in, in the moment so did you get a chance to see your mom before no the funeral okay no well not not until uh you know the the funeral home called us to come and and view her and it, it was so crazy like me and my brother were silly um my mom used to do this thing um when we go home and visit she'd be in the bed and we walk in there you know like you get up to cook breakfast or whatever then she'd be laying in the bed like she's sleeping so we walk up and we'd, we, you know, we'd be quiet, but then she'll jump up and be like, you know, which I want, you know, is she's never asleep. And so when we went to see her, you know, to view the body, it was like, she was so perfect. It was like, although she had been hit or whatever, not one mark was on her. I mean, absolutely nothing. She was, was unscathed, like just perfect. And so we were sitting there looking and of course we're crying and then like me and my brother just got like really quiet and we bust out laughing. And so my sister, of course, she was like, why are y'all laughing? And you know, I'm, you know, in both in our minds, we were like, she better jump over and be like, what y'all looking at? But you know, of course that wasn't the case. Of course we would want it to be, you know, my, my mom was just so much to us. I, I mean, there's nothing like that. You know, there, there will be nothing ever like that. Um, for, for us, nothing. She was, she was just remarkable. So did you think, once you got that bad news, and you know, I don't know if in that moment or a few days later or months later, did you revisit that conversation and really think like, wow, this was it? Um, actually, Paula, um, after the funeral, um, the, the problem that I had was my husband at the time had already lost his mother and um, he was not what I needed him to be in the moment that I lost my mama. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it was so much of what my mom had said it on that phone call that made sense in the moment. And so shortly after the funeral, I believe we went home to change clothes and we were changing and it was just him and I in the, in the, in the bedroom. And I looked over and I had this feeling of nothing. And I, I instantly said to him, I said, um, I need you to understand that um, I've lost my mother and you're next. I, I don't mind losing this. And that's where it started. Wow. Okay. So um yeah I, and I get it and so I was I remember where I was when you called me and told me about your mom I was actually in church in Shreveport and I stepped out and I was like do I need to come back to Monroe and you said no um I'm headed to Port Arthur but I just wanted you to know so I I remember how I felt and so I can't even imagine what you felt and you know what you continue to feel every year when that anniversary comes around when mother's day comes around when her birthday you know um 
to to lose someone unexpectedly is is something that nobody can prepare you for there, there's no coaching no reading no books no because everybody's experience is different according to the relationship with that person so um i i continue to pray for you and marvel at your strength to keep going um your strength to keep living and being who you are so again listeners we are interviewing kirsten fontenot she was my neighbor in monroe louisiana i affectionately call her doc so doc take us to 2016. so um a little bit before 2016 was when all of the divorce conversations started um shortly after the funeral actually um we agreed to um make that happen um it was not growth anymore um, we were not on the same page. We were not getting along. Um, I thought I was doing the kids a favor to stay because um, I wanted them to grow up in a two-parent household, something that I did not have. Um, but then I had to realize that that particular two-parent household was not healthy. Um, and as much as I wanted that for them, I had to realize that um, I could really hurt them to allow them to keep seeing um the damage um and I, I didn't want them to grow up with that so um I tried for a long time um but then my oldest daughter approached me and she said um I want to go I, I don't want to be here anymore and that was kind of hard because I then realized that was I really doing it for them or was I doing it because I was comfortable? You know, what was what was my real reason in doing it? Because I then I was really afraid of change. I can I will be honest, I never ever thought that I would make any moves. Is I'm I'm pretty much if I'm in a situation, I'm just gonna stay there. Um I'll stick it out, but I I could not do that anymore anymore I had gotten into several terrible altercations and it wasn't me that's one thing I had to realize it wasn't me I was becoming somebody that I no longer recognized and so the best thing was to just not do it anymore and um even though we had agreed um once the papers came and they were kind of finalized it became real ugly it was fighting and um, this is not what we, this is not what I wanted. And we agreed to this and it just, so much changed. And, uh, unfortunately, um, I left, um, and we, me and the girls stayed gone for a little while until there was a decision made by the courts that we couldn't move back in the house and he moved out. He did not even court ordered. He did not. Um, we had to live with a neighbor for about three months. Um, unfortunately it was right next door we had to see him every day even being right next door that was an ugly situation um but then um he he did have to leave and then me and the girls moved into the house and at the time i just i had gotten into this whole zone of that i just god just give me something um this is not working um, the way that I'm doing it is not working. Um, what I'm trying to give my girls is not is not working. None of this is working. Nothing that I think is making sense is making sense. Um, I needed a change. And so I started praying that God would 
um, allow me to enter into something new. Um, we moved into the house. We stayed, I guess it probably was two weeks, maybe three weeks. It was not long. Uh, it started raining in my row and it rained for four days. Um, and it flooded. Um, and, and town and country was known for flooding. And the house flooded, of course. And we left and we went and stayed with a friend. And not knowing that uh, we would not be able to go right back home because the city was pumping water into the neighborhood. The water stayed in the neighborhood for um, three weeks. And so we weren't able to go into the house. So by the time they allowed us to go and see, um, by that time, water in the house for three weeks, of course, nothing is anything. And so the houses on the end of the street were um, okay because they were on a higher sector and then the ones in the middle was like a bowl almost so I went to that the neighbors on the end and um put on like some boots and a sticker suit and I walked and so as I was walking through this water that was up to my probably my waistline you know I was thinking like what am I about to see what you know what am I about to walk into and I couldn't walk through the doors because the water was still high and the windows were set a little higher so I had to go through a window and instantly I just saw everything you know everything was just wet uh, everything was destroyed um and I just looked at the mom you know I walked through every room and I just looked at everything um I looked at the tiles that had been popped up off the floor the wood and I just I just looked at everything and um I, I walked out and I walked back down the street and um, I got out of the little suit and I, I cried for maybe 30 seconds if that and um I had to get myself together um and I'm like dummy what are you crying for and although I had realized in that moment I lost absolutely everything kids baby pictures um life pictures family pictures uh my mom's funeral stuff like the last things that I had of her um everything absolutely everything what, what am I crying for? It was stuff. Um, yeah, it's easy to say stuff, but that was everything that I had put money to, everything that I had built. But what hit me was the fact that <laughs> I had prayed for that. I didn't specifically ask God how to give me new, so that was my fault. But in that moment when I had to suck up those tears and the realization came, what did hit me was you prayed for God to give you new. And the guy that I know is not gonna start me over new with old stuff. And so I dried up my tears at that moment and I just decided, hey, we gotta, now is what we're gonna figure out what, what's next. That, that's all I could go with at the time. It, it was no longer crying over it, it was what's next. I love that God is not gonna give me something new with old stuff and like the bible says you can't put new wine in old wine skins exactly. so here we are miss kirsten who doesn't like change miss <laughs> kirsten who has to start over who has gone through some pretty pretty challenging times in life from 2010 to 2016 so Again, Miss Kirsten, who doesn't like change? What did you do? Um, I sat for days, you know, and FEMA, FEMA did step up, you know, and they did a lot. Um, and so 
I, I just questioned what was I gonna do next. Uh, that previous summer we had traveled to Austin um, for a cheerleader competition. And so Austin just laid on my mind kind of heavy. And so I considered, um, of course, I always wanted to come back to Texas because it's home. I just didn't want to be home. Um, I didn't really want to go to Houston. I didn't really want to go to Dallas. And so Austin was heavy on my mind and I, I started making considerations to come to Austin. And the next thing was money. Um, and, and FEMA was doing a lot. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll let this add up. And I was saving that money. And then I spoke with a friend, David Burris, who was so instrumental at the time. Um, he's very encouraging and he, he's, he's such a good coach. And I said, um, he was like, so what are you gonna do? And I was like, you know, I wanna make this move. I was like, but what if when I get there this? And what if when I get there this? And what if this? And he was like, Kirsten, what if the provisions are already made? And I heard him and I was like, who asked you to say that? <laughs> Basically, you know, it was my thought, you know, like who told you to have such common sense? And, you know, we got off the phone and I'm sitting at work. And as soon as we got off the phone, I get this notification from Chase that I had this substantial um, deposit. And so I'm like, hey, 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 what's this, what's this? And so I uh, clicked on it and it was like over $6,000 had been deposited into my account. And I'm like, who the hell is this? And so it was a back pay for some child support. And I was like, okay, God, I hear you. And so while I was visiting, I seen this lady's billboard. Um, her name was Jen Griffith. She's so incredible and we still communicate today. She's a realtor. And I called her and I was like, hey, I wanna move to Austin. You know, I'm living in Louisiana and this is what I got. And I'm gonna send you this amount of money and I just need you to put it on places. And everything at that point was based on faith because she couldn't show me a lot. And I basically sent this lady $5,000. And I told her, do what you have to put, you know, money wherever. And she was like, I'm gonna put it here and whatever don't go, I'll send you the money back. Whatever goes, it's gonna stay. Um, I know what you're looking for. You pretty much told me what you like. Just trust me and I'll do it. And to be honest with you, I didn't even see where I was gonna be living at until I came here. I didn't know what the apartment was gonna look like. I didn't even know the neighborhood. I didn't know anything. I just basically, trusted her trusted god and when she told me it's a go y'all need to be here on the 15th um two days before i got a u-haul i packed up the little bit of stuff that we had put it on the u-haul and we got up early that morning about four in the morning and we drove here and we made it in time to meet the lady at the office and i got keys <laughs> that's amazing how all of this stuff worked out uh just just like God scripted it you know we we can't script our lives any better than God he knows our end from the beginning and he knows the middle the meantime so for you to trust God like that um and, and for ways to just be made like that it, it's really mind-blowing and I remember I actually came to visit you a week after you moved yes, there. Yes, you did. You were my first visitor. <laughs> yes. I, I was like, because I had never been to Austin. So that was like a perfect opportunity for me to come to Austin. And I hadn't seen you in a little while. So 
you know, and even then I, I was just amazed. I'm still amazed at your strength and you may not think you're strong or, you know, the Bible says his strength is made perfect in our weakness. So I may be seeing God's strength on display in your life, but I still marvel at it. And you don't, you say you don't do change well, but I've watched you navigate through so many different things. I, I've watched you, I've, I've sat back and I've watched you and I've learned so much from you. Um, you even introduced me to coach David Burris and he has been instrumental in my life in this season of my life. So we are here in 2020. How is life for Kirsten Fontenot now? Life is great. You know, um, through all of that change, um, one thing that I learned is you have to heal. Um, yeah, it's a lot of strength that uh, comes with it, but even the strongest person gets tired. Even the strongest person needs a hug. Even the strongest person, you know, needs to sit down and cry. And you know I have cried. You know. You know, I I am tough on the outside, but I am soft as Charmin on the inside. And um, there are days when, even on my toughest days, you know, I can really sit somewhere and I have a huge cry in me. And you know, there's been times when I've called you and I said, Paula, I gotta cry in me and I gotta let it out. And it, it's just those things because sometimes it just gets overwhelming because I don't take a moment. You know, I just keep pushing, I keep pushing. I gotta keep pushing. You know, I got two girls watching me. Um, I, I got, it, it's no stopping point for me. But right now in 2020, I, I sit and I just, I love where I am. Um, life has been so good. Um, this new season has been, um, has, has been wonderful. Um, I have not gone without. Not to say that there has, you know, there hasn't been tight times, but I have not gone without anything ever. As much as I was afraid of the provisions, as much as I was afraid of the change, um, this has been so easy. Um, everything for me and my girls, that so much has just come. You know, there's, there's times when I could start off the month and I'm like, I don't even know how I'm gonna get this done. But by the end of the month, it's absolutely done. You know, and it, it's just amazing to watch God work, to watch God provide, and for me to learn, and for me to check myself to say, you know, um, why were you even tripping? Like, this is the same God that, you know, changed all of this around for you then, and made these big, huge changes to bring you here. What make you think he won't just continue to, you know, do that and provide. And so I have to check myself a lot. Um, but yeah, 2020 is, I mean, it's bad for some people, but you know, it's good. <laughs> yes, and I love to see you smile. <laughs> <laughs> and I can always tell when it's really good. So we are getting ready to wrap this up, but Kirsten, I want you to, let the listeners know what is the core, your message that you want to leave with them. Um, one thing that I've learned and one thing that sticks with me, something that I tell my girls that I wish someone would have told me early on um, is to thine own self be true. Um, no one else is gonna be true to you. 
um, be true to yourself. Um, always trust what you feel. Um, people, people are gonna lie. People are gonna say what feels good. Um, but when you know deep inside that it's just not real, don't sell yourself short just for the moment. Don't sell yourself short because it feels good. Don't sell yourself short because it looks good or it's different. Give yourself what you're worth. Like, um, that's what we do too much. We do too much of the um, just going along to get along. And that's where we feel. Um, I have said uh, many times, um, and it was a struggle with the transition, to get past some things but for me to get past those things i had to be true to me and i had to check kirsten and say what are you accountable for what was it that you did that ultimately caused you to stay longer or caused you to be in that farther than what you should have and it was a lot that was my fault it was some things that i could have done you know way before 2015 Mm -hmm. and so with that I should have been true to me and made me happy rather than pleasing someone else so I'll say again uh be true to you because at the end of the day you're all you got Mm -hmm. and you're the only one that's gonna that's gonna just satisfy you know that inner that inner core like you have to deal with your emotions. You have to satisfy all of that. You you have to make you happy because it's no one's else's responsibility to make you happy. Mm, I love it. Be true to you is no one else's responsibility to make you happy. So, yeah. Thank you, Kirsten, for that mouthful, for that wisdom, for sharing, and just for being so transparent with us. And before we go, can you let the listeners know how they can find you on social media? I am on Facebook as Kirsten Fontenot. I am on Instagram as PA underscore made underscore me, Port Arthur made me, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm on Snapchat, but of course, just for the filters and the pictures, uh, I don't know my name, don't know it. So you know how that goes. Once you hit 40, all of that don't even matter. <laughs> Right. All right. Again, thank you, Kirsten, so much for sharing your story with us. And thank you, Navigators, for listening. And until next time, keep going, Navigators. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.